Welcome to the Indie Writer Podcast by Writing Block, where we talk all things writing and indie publishing. I'm Jackie Castle, and I'm joined today by host Carrie Dubiel and Becca Spence-Tobias, and our guest today is teenage author Millie Florence. And since this episode will air in November, we're going to be talking all about National Novel Writing Month. How's everyone doing today? Awesome. Great. Good. This is a, a busy episode of four people, so we're hoping it'll be a lot of fun. And Millie, we're so glad that you're here with us. Why don't you take a minute and tell listeners a little bit about yourself and your work? Yeah, sure. So my name is Millie Florence. Um, I am currently 17 years old. I've been writing for literally as long as I can remember. I published my first book, Honey Butter, when I was 13 years old. My second, Lydia Green of Mulberry Glen. When I was 15 years old, I write books for middle graders. I've been homeschooled my whole life, and I love to teach at homeschool co-ops and schools and basically anything that involves um, public speaking and kids and writing. So So cool. (laughs) Well, we're really excited to have you. Uh, So as most of our listeners probably know, National Novel Writing Month, or NaNoWriMo, takes place every November. It's a challenge in which authors all over the world aim to write 50,000 words in just one month. Some authors complete the challenge with a new work, and others just kind of feed on the energy of the month to complete other projects that are in limbo or to power through edits. So to kick us off, why don't we all just briefly talk about our experience with National Novel Writing Month and if we are joining this year, what we're working on, and then we'll dive in deeper with some specifics. Millie, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. So I'm a big fan of NaNoWriMo for a few reasons, but first and foremost, just because it's kind of the only way that I got my first two books finished. Basically, the biggest problem I'd always had before I did NaNoWriMo um, for real the first time was I could never finish my books. I would always like get halfway through and then get interested in some other project and, you know, go, go do that. My brain is very (laughs) excitable, I guess you could say. (laughs) And so uh, the first time I did it for real, I say for real, because I did it once when I was like five, but of course you can't really do it when you're five. Um, The first time I did it for real, I was uh, 12 or 13, I think. And I wrote the first draft of Honey Butter in November, 2017. And I don't think I would have written it without NaNoWriMo. Nice. Carrie or Becca, do you want to share your experience? Yeah, sure. Um, I did NaNoWriMo for the first time in 2012. And I actually wrote the first draft of the book that I am now on my something like 12th draft of for ink shares. (laughs) So eight years ago, (laughs) but I've done some other ones in between. Um, There was one I did right after I had a newborn and did not succeed at, but I still got some words in probably more than I would have otherwise. And another couple books that I've gotten drafts done for. And then I've also used several nanos and camps to get editing and just other smaller projects done. So this year, I'm actually going to be doing um, another draft of the same one that I did in 2012. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'm really trying not to, I'm not doing a certain number of words. I'm just trying to get through the rest of this draft in the month. So okay. It's going to be a really loose um, use of the tools and more like you were saying, just a harnessing of that creative energy and drive and dedication for the month. Sounds good, Becca. So I'll talk, this is Carrie. I'll talk a little bit about my NaNoWriMo. I'm, Millie's making me feel super old um, because <laughs> I think I did, I may have done my first one before she was born. <laughs> Um, or, or close to the year she was born. Um, I started, I think the very first year that it started, I had read about it somewhere. And um, I that very first year, I almost completed, I was like 
5,000, maybe 8,000 words away. And then my then boyfriend, now husband, had to have his appendix out. So that derailed me because I went to his house to take care of him. He was living by himself and his, he was, well, he was living with his aunt, but she wasn't a very good nurse. So I, I did my best, but he had to have like the full blown, you know, rip open your stomach appendix, like not what they do now with the laparoscopic. So so that derailed me. And I never did finish again. Like I've tried it every single year since. And last year I did finish 2019 for the first time. And I think the reason why I finished is because I got in my drafting for the publisher that I used to have that we all share in common. I had to write a lot of drafts. And so I had to complete you know, not hundreds of thousands, but tens of thousands of words within one or two months, you know, trying to get on target with some of these drafts. So my experience with that kind of had prepped and primed me for NaNoWriMo last year. So I did complete it. This year, I, so I just completed a different book draft. Well, I'm not quite done, but I'm almost done. That one needs to go sit on the back burner. And this week, I'm kind of, well, we're recording during the week before November, but when this airs, hopefully I'll be in deep on it. But yeah, I've got a couple of things outlined. I haven't quite decided which one I'm going to go all in on on November 1st. I see pros and cons to both doing both projects. One is more fun and the other one's more serious. So I'm just not really sure. But every year I've done some form of it. Awesome. So I started, I tried to do uh, NaNoWriMo, I think for the first time in 2016. And I think I just kind of like Carrie and Becca just harnessed the energy. But then in 2017, I did complete it. Um, And I didn't start a book from scratch. I was actually finishing uh, a a new draft. So they were new words, but it was a a brand new draft of my book that's out now, The Seclusion. And then in 2018, I did write the first 50,000 words of the sequel, which was a really, it's just a really nice way to kick off a draft. The problem that I have is then once um, November is over, my draft isn't actually done because I'm sure like some of you, our books tend to average around 70 or 80,000 words, um, not necessarily 50. And then I'm so sick of looking at it that I don't accomplish anything for months. (laughs) I've definitely been there. (laughs) And so that's what I'm trying to not do this year. I I wrote a first draft of a new um, kind of political thriller. That's my thing last year. And I have barely looked at it since then. And so now I'm trying to decide if I want to start a brand new project or if I want to just power through with that month and finish up the project that I started last year. And so I'm sure it'll be a very last minute decision based on what looks a little shinier (laughs) on November 1st. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I'm just curious to hear what, since I am such a procrastinator and um, I know that Becca and Carrie are, are much better at outlining than I am. I'm not sure how you are, Millie, but I'd just love to hear what you guys do to prepare for National Novel Writing Month. If you take, if you ever take any steps just to get ready and make sure that you hit the ground running. Yeah, so I, at this point, I don't really have a certain way or a certain thing I do to prepare for NaNoWriMo. I just kind of go go with the flow like I'll, I'll it depends on the book like every book I've done I'll do a different amount of like preparation for the first draft so um with Honey Butter there's pretty much no preparation <laughs> with Lydia Green there was a little bit more and I'm not and my next book which I just finished um first draft of there was a little bit more so I might in the coming years like become more of a plotter than I am a pantser but I feel like I, I've definitely been a pantser in the past. I, I would still consider myself a pantser. So, I was a pantser for many, many years. And I just, I, especially as I got older, I started to feel like I needed some kind of goal to strive for. So I, my outline is more of a roadmap. If I need to adjust something or 
change where the plot point, well, the plot point markers pretty much have to stay where they are, you know, 20% in the midpoint and then going into the finale, though I keep those pretty consistent, but if I have to move scenes around or change points of view to get what I need to do as I'm going, then I'm flexible on that. But I like knowing kind of where I'm headed. So I, I've read a lot of books on structure and so I kind of nerd out about it. I've tried both extremes and kind of found that something in the middle works for me. So the first time I did it in 2012, it was totally pantsed. It didn't even have a plot, I'd say. (laughs) Something that you could call a plot with the first draft. It was just like, get those words out. So if I had a scene in my head, I would write it. If I had a bit of dialogue in my head, I would write it. And then like at the end, I kind of went through and tried to turn it into something semi-cohesive. And so that was actually really good for just getting through it, um, seeing the heart of the story that I wanted to make, but it was not good for having anything like a story or a plot. It took a lot more work to go back to. So the next time I tried NaNo, I really went all in with planning and it was actually really fun. I used one of their one of their planning books, like the official nano planning books, and I was doing character profiles. I was like collaging things about the characters and I was diagramming the plot and I was doing art projects about it and I had like every point and I felt really ready and then it just killed it for me almost so when I was actually Mm. writing it wasn't fun it was too it just wasn't creative and so what I've done um, since then that works really well for me is kind of what Carrie is saying where I get some main points down I get like a general idea of where I want to make the story go but then I kind of like I I know where I wanted to end up kind of. I know like a couple points along the way. Um, I might have some little snippets, but then I kind of fill it in as as the month goes on. And I find that that is really best because then I I actually have a story when I come out of it, not just 50,000 random words, but I'm, I'm excited the whole time I'm writing. So, so do you have that ready by November 1st? Or do you sit down on November 1st and be like, okay, the month has started. Now I'm gonna figure out uh, parts of my outline and, and write one scene today. Or do you are you one of the people who spends all of October making sure that you're ready to sit down on November first and start writing? All of October. It's more like there's a story that's just kind of building, and I can't ignore it. So I'm like writing those little things down and like waiting for because I want to have like it's almost like a ritual like to get started. So. If I don't have a nano starting, um, I have to like change my setting, which is really hard with the pandemic. I have to make it feel like I'm in a different setting and light a candle and have a special coffee drink. And But nano is really good about that because it is like a clear, okay, today is the day I'm starting on this story. And so it's mm-hmm. not October. It's more just like the months leading up to it. Yeah, that's exactly how it is for me. Like what you're describing or like, there's just this story building and there's kind of nothing you can do about it. You just have to like write it down when it comes to you. I Because I actually love plotting and plotting out all the points, but I don't love doing it for the first draft. So like I'll write the first draft, but then in the second draft, I'll go through and like every, like you said, like go crazy with all the plot points and scene cards and all the things. Um, but yeah, when it, when I'm writing the first draft in the months leading up to it, when I, the story is sort of like, like sitting in my head, it's like, like story fermenting almost. I'll just write down what I feel like I need to know before I start. Yeah, and it totally lets it, lets the story like come out more naturally. It doesn't feel as forced and it still feels fun, but you have some idea where it's going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like what, what you guys are describing reminds me of my friend Amanda Flower, who's written like a million cozy mysteries. 
And the way she does it is she just writes her way from page one to the end of the story. It doesn't matter how long it is. You know, it, her goal might be 80,000, but maybe she only writes 55,000 in the first draft or 60. Sometimes mm. she doesn't even know who the murderer is until she hits like the last couple chapters. And then she goes back and revises stuff. Oh, that's awesome. I've definitely been there. Like, you don't know the actual answer to the mystery you created. That's happened to me before. See, that that drives me nuts. So if I find myself <laughs> in a situation where I know I'm writing towards something like that, I will sit down and plot out that, like, quadrant of the story. Like, if I've painted mm, myself yeah. into a corner, I can't just keep doing that for the rest of the book. <laughs> so I've got to re-outline the outline. I'm kind of obsessive about it. Yeah. That's interesting. I know I tend to try to follow the Save the Cat beat sheets, but in my first draft, I usually, you know, I'm very solid on my beginning and I'm very solid on on what I want to happen on the last page. And the rest is just a very long meandering journey. And by the time I'm done, usually like the first 30% can just get thrown in the trash. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. I think it, it, it somehow works, but I'd like to end up one day to be somewhere in the middle of uh, pantsing and plotting because I think I, I, I do, I don't do myself any favors. I've heard an author say once, uh, I think it was Linda Sue Park that sometimes the story is smarter than you are. And I think that's very true, especially like when you're writing the first draft and you don't entirely know what's, what's going to happen, or at least I don't all of the time, you kind of need the story to, um, to speak for itself, sort of, to, you, you know, like, you need to figure out what it is rather than you deciding what it is. I think it's more of a discovery, at least for me. That definitely happens, even when you're an outliner. But then that's where the re-outlining of the outline <laughs> comes, at least in my case. I do have one friend, and I interviewed her on a podcast recently, so you can listen to the podcast, my friend Julianne Lindsay, who is another cozy writer, she is like super strict on her outline. It's so strict that she even writes in like little snippets of dialogue in her outline and it takes her like six days and it's color coded. <laughs> like I, I don't get that far into it, but she did say that because her books are a little bit more formulaic, it's a little bit easier for her to do that. For if you're writing a book that's general fiction, it's totally different from something genre. Right. That makes sense. So let's talk a little bit about writing routines. So what does that look like when November kicks off for, for you guys? How do you make sure that you carve out time? Becca, I know you are very into routines. You mentioned your your special drinks and your candles. And, <laughs> and so what does that look like for you? Um, come November 1st? Um, well, the thing is, I really like routines, but I also have little kids. So, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I would love to like sit down at the same time every day with my special drink and my candle. But realistically, um, it looks like me grabbing my laptop at the time when they're both busy. Mm -hmm. um, and that's no different than November. So it's really just become a way that or like become a matter of me disciplining myself and training myself into like switching that mindset on every day, no matter what. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's not really an answer about routines. It's just no, it is. We want I think our listeners want to hear all, all the various ways they could get it done. And we have lots of listeners with with kids, including me and Carrie. So, yeah, so I write I have a bullet journal. I'm really into bullet journaling. And I write the word right on every day of my planner, no matter what. I do that too. I do that too. Oh, that's so funny. I have to cross it off every day. I didn't used to do stuff like that. But now that it's the pandemic, I really need to like feel like I've been successful so I'll just I'll fill my notebook with things like um check email and uh, return <laughs> phone call and then I feel like I've accomplished something yeah you need that sense of accomplishment but if I don't put if I don't put right on my planner I won't do it I need to feel like it's an obligation I definitely was nodding myself nodding along when 
Becca was talking about kids. <laughs> I I've got two little kids too. So what I used to do it is not quite the same as what I do now. So my regular writing routine, which people have heard about on other podcasts, so this might be a repetition, but I have a 500 word a day that I try to do, but I don't always do it per day. So I might chunk it. So like yesterday I wrote 5,000. I might in a normal week, I might say, okay, well, that's my, you know, I spread that out over 10 days. But during nano, you have to get a lot more done. So I might still do a little bit of chunking, especially when my husband's home. I might write, you know, five or 7,000 in a day. Or I might just wait until they go to bed and knock out maybe 500 just here or there just so I can stay caught up. Prior to kids, it was like 1667 every day. And then if you need to get, you know, if you can get ahead, then you can get ahead. But it's funny because I completed it this past year, but I'd never completed it before. I think the story just kind of like fizzled out or I got bored or whatever. I think I've developed so much more of a routine now that I do the 500 a day, just kind of religiously. So it was a lot easier for me to get the project finished last year. That's interesting. I know that the last two years I I stumbled, it might've just been a blog post against that reverse uh, nano remo plan. Has anyone read that? No, I don't think so. So it was just a blog post and basically it's kind of like the stacking thing that you're talking about, Carrie, but you, you purposefully do more in like the first week. And so then with each week, your word count gets lower. And so instead of doing 1600, you're doing above 3000. And then, you know, there's a mathematical equation to it. But basically, it, it um, it's mapped out per day. And then by day 30, you're writing like 400 words. Um, and so I actually plant did those that the last two years and did very well, I think both times with like the first week, and then just kind of fell off of the high the high word count thing. But then at that point, my average was down to like 1200 a day. So it still made it a little easier in the long run. Yeah, I also try to like get ahead at the beginning. I've, I've always tried to do that because like the further I get into the draft, the more my, my brain like either starts to get bored or like starts to get worn out and I'll get writer's block easier. So um, yeah, I definitely think, I think that's a good idea if you can do that. I I struggle to actually get like the 1,600 words a day that you're supposed to do for NaNoWriMo. And I actually have yet to ever write 50,000 words in a month. I think mm-hmm. my my high at this point is uh, 40,000 words in a month, which I actually did in September. That was the highest number of words I've ever written in a month. But before that, I've always done 30,000 word NaNoWriMo's because I do it on the on the kids NaNoWriMo site where you can like set your own word count goal, which is nice. Um, but as for writing routines, I don't really have like a specific time I get to write because I or like I have to write because I actually I kind of enjoy just like picking whatever works best for me or like my dad always says, go where the energy is. So if I ever feel like I really want to write and, you know, go sit down and write. I don't want to be constrained by a time. But there are a few things I really like to do um, that are sort of like a non-time writing routine. So I actually made a whole video about it on my YouTube channel um, about my writing routine. But basically, um, I always try to walk before I, I write for like five minutes, just like walk outside. Because I read a scientific study that said... Um, that walking outside for as little as five minutes can boost your creativity by 10%. And I mean, as, as authors, we need all the creativity we can get. So it's really nice um, to just like walk and get in that headspace and then sit down to write, to write. Now, obviously I can't always do that. Sometimes I don't have much time and I just like need to sit down, but, and, and like get all the words out. But um, when I can, I try to do that. That's, that's my main thing. And I also like to, make tea and all, all that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great. That's a good segue, I think, to, um, I guess, like a bridge to your creative time. I try to read whenever I can. I feel like it just kind of helps me get out of work mode and into 
you know, creative mode because I, I, I'm a freelance writer as well. So sometimes I feel like I just need something to to kind of switch my brain into a more uh, direction of writing fiction. So Becca and Carrie, do either of you have things that you do before you try to start writing and the, or any other tools that you use during your writing time? So <laughs> similar to Millie, um, I really like getting some kind of endorphin <laughs> rush going. So sometimes I'll try to exercise in the morning before I'm writing. Um, but as you were mentioning that study, I just thought about something for my other hat as an early childhood educator, which says that um, sometimes before kids can focus, they need to activate their vestibular system. So that's why so many kids will, like I know my four-year-old wants to swing before school all the time. And like on school breaks, my son will like go out and hang upside down from the tree. And so anything that kind of moves your, like the vestibular system is the one where like in your ears, like you're throwing off your sense of balance and then like regaining it. So that just made me think like, should I be hanging upside down or should I like turn around in circles before I write? (laughs) You just. (laughs) Yes. Yes, you should. (laughs) Okay. So I have a new idea for my writing routine. I'm going to activate my vestibular (laughs) system. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Send us a picture. Okay. That's funny. I do kind of like to use reading too. I just, I like to read just because it relaxes me and I like being able to escape into a different world. I, being a librarian, everyone always has this assumption that I read all day at work, but I don't. I read when I'm off work. So that is another thing that can sometimes interfere with creativity is coming home after a long day and you're worrying about HR or a patron throwing a book at you or some kind of wild thing that happens. So reading is a good way to kind of, like Jackie said, activate that creative mode. I like the idea of going outside and going for a walk too. I I read recently too that going out into nature can help boost your mental spirits, like get you out of a depression, which I, that makes a lot of sense to me. Like I really like hiking and I often will just kind of meander through the woods and think about writing when I'm hiking. So it's nice. It's a good way to be mindful and present too. So there are definitely times when I have to seize the moment though. And Sometimes it's just kind of like, okay, open the computer. You can type two sentences. And if you can't make it past those two sentences, then, you know, you can give it a break. But usually I can, once I sit down and just force myself to do it, I'll start to get in a groove. And then I just keep going until such time as when I must stop. So what other um, tools do you guys use during that writing time? Do you ever use prompts that you've set aside? Or uh, I know that we talk a lot in writing block about writing sprints and we sometimes host them on our social media accounts. How often do you rely on things like that? Or do you tend to just, yeah, get the words out on your own? I know during National Novel Writing Month, there's a lot of community engagement that you can tap into. I, I do writing sprints pretty often, actually. And it's funny because um, the way I do them is, and if you follow me on Instagram, you may have seen me do this before, is I'll take like a little like time lapse video of my fingers typing and like to post on social media and talk about my writing. Um, but obviously to do that, I have to be like writing and like moving my fingers over the keyboard the entire time that I'm taking that time lapse video. So it's sort of like an incentive for me to at least look like I'm doing something and then like through the process of that I'll like actually start doing something and focusing on the story so I usually start out my writing sessions like well not usually but often I'll start out my writing sessions like that I'll take a time lapse video um and be like just tell myself okay at least pretend you're at least pretend you're being productive <laughs> and then in the process I'll get productive it's like performative accountability it's nice yeah. <laughs> Have you guys ever read um, Steal Like an Artist, that that book? Is it Austin Kleon? Yeah, it's that guy. Yeah. He talks about he talks about that in his book, 
that like you need to pretend you you are who you want to be until you become that person or you need to pretend that you're doing what you want to be doing until you're actually doing it so you should pretend you're writing until you actually start writing because through pretending you'll convince yourself that you should be or that you are and you'll actually start doing it kind of like they say you should pretend to smile if you feel like you want to be happy you just sit there and like smile like an idiot no one's watching me like I'm doing right yeah. now. <laughs> um, I do writing sprints too. I also used to like going to write-ins. Uh, I've been to a couple, but I know that that's not going to happen this year. So I'm hoping there are some more virtual write-in events. And it's making me think maybe we should host some through writing block. Yeah, let's do it. At least a couple. Yeah. But that kind of makes me... so. A little bit of a change of topic, but I think really relevant. This November might be kind of insane. Are are any of you thinking about like how your mental health might affect Nano this year? I mean, as we're talking about what our routines looked like last year, and and you guys are talking about parenting, I mean, I can't help but think, but this isn't last year. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) This is this year. And November 3rd is going to be... (laughs) <laughs> like intense, no matter what. Right. And I am very worried that I'm going to start off really strong on the first. And then I am volunteering at the polls all day long on the second. So that I'm just going to be like, ah, fuck it and give up. Now. <laughs> yeah. Um. So we'll see. Yeah. I think that it'll test us for sure. Or it might be the perfect outlet. Well, especially for you, Jackie, with your political thrillers, you're going to have lots of material. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Emotions. But Carrie, I was thinking how you said something is a little um, a little lighter and then you have or you have two projects, one of them's a little lighter and one of them is a little more serious. And I'm wondering, like, would the lighter one be better for as an escape or is it going to be hard to focus on something light when there's so much intensity around? I was thinking the same thing. It might be more fun. And because it's more sci fi and I don't think my agent would probably want to do anything with it. It would be more of a fun thing for me. And then if I did publish it, it would be under a pseudonym. So it, it might be a fun little diversion. That's actually part of my decision making and deciding what project to follow. One of them is, it, it's more satirical, so it's less intense than my first um, two books. But the other one is just total sci-fi, and I might just go in that direction. Might be a nice way to be kind to yourself. I've noticed, because you're talking about like like mental health and, and all that. Obviously, I've been writing all year. Um, I actually finished two completely different first drafts this past year. So I probably won't actually be writing this November. I'll be editing or rewriting, that sort of thing. But I've noticed as I've been as I've been writing this year that I need windows and I need to be writing where there's sunlight coming in because otherwise, yeah, if I'm down in my my basement bedroom for too long locked in there writing, then I'll have really bad mood mood swings. Yeah. Yeah. That's good to realize about yourself. I know I've started using one of those really cheesy, um, like white noise generators. It's just like the sound of people at a coffee shop. I know that's really depressing to hear myself say out loud. Um, but I used to work, you know, do most of my fiction writing at a coffee shop. I would, that would be my time. I would go and, and do that when the kids were at school. Um, and my other work I'd often do from home, but yeah, just that I'm realizing how much I miss that just background chatter <laughs> and how, how much I associated it with writing fiction. And I think part of that kind of ties in with what Millie was saying is like, you are performing being a writer at a coffee shop with other people around you. Hmm, I might as well write. <laughs> yeah. I like to write in coffee shops too. I miss it. And pretty much the only place I ever go these days is the library and like the curbside pickup at Giant Eagle. <laughs> so <laughs> it's really depressing. <laughs> I've actually never gotten to write in coffee shops or um, bookstores or anything that much. I really want to, but like before now, I haven't been able to drive on my own. So I would have to like schedule time that my parents could take me to one to write for an hour and then pick me up. 
but I'm hoping like once the once the pandemic is over and um, once I get my driver's license, then I can I can drive myself to coffee shops and I can write in coffee shops whenever I want to. It's gonna be like the only place I ever drive to. <laughs> <laughs> so, any other routines that you guys or sprints or tool I guess tools that you use during National Novel Writing Month if you feel yourself getting stuck or any other community engagement things that you join in on in the larger national novel writing community? I use the Pomodoro method a lot. I, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I don't know what that is. What is that? Okay, so it's this sort of, it was developed for studying, for like students to study I by some some brain scientists or whatever. Basically like exactly how long your brain can focus on a task, um, which is like 25 minutes. So the way the Pomodoro method works is you set a timer for 25 minutes and you write in my case or study um, for that amount of time and just like don't take any breaks like like basically like a 25 minute writing sprint essentially and then once the 25 minutes is up you set a five minute um, break timer and you take a break and you go and stretch or walk around or whatever take a drink of tea um, and then you come back and you write for another 25 minutes and I think after you've done that four times after you've you've had four sessions of 25 minutes then you take a 30 minute break and it's basically it's just like a a really specific like brain science proved way of of like focusing I found it really works like when I heard about it at first I was like I don't know that seems like way too simple but then I tried it and it was almost scary how like how how well it helped me to focus so I would definitely recommend that Cool. It reminds me a little bit. I, I feel like I've heard writers, it's not the 25 minutes, but they'll do the sprint pyramid where you do a 10 minute warm up sprint and then a five minute break, 15 minutes, five minute break, 20 minutes, five minute break, 25, and then back down until you get to the last 10 minute sprint again and then take a longer break or be done for the day, I guess, depending on how well you do. I've never tried that before, but I want to now. That sounds interesting. I think the timer is good because it you know that the break is coming. It's almost like high intensity interval training. Yeah. Like you know that the break is coming so you can make it through. I've been doing a lot of that since the pandemic started. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz I'm like I get so agitated like being stuck in the house, so I have to do some kind of like moving my body. I guess I should start like spinning around in circles like Becca hanging upside down. <laughs> We actually have monkey bars in our living room, so now I'm a little nervous about what I'll do. <laughs> yeah. Your kids will be like, Mom has lost it, finally. <laughs> <laughs> they probably already think that. That's uh, okay. Um, yeah, I feel like I've started using the sprint method for, like, everything in my life. I didn't realize there was brain science behind it, but just, yeah, other other writing work, um, other, even podcast editing that I do for us, like, just, yeah, set the timer and then know you have five minutes to do something else when it, when it dings. Yeah, and it's also sort of, like, giving you the 25 minutes being like, here's your time, don't waste it. That's true, too. I get frustrated with it when I'm at work because I get interrupted so much like the nature of my job between being a manager and working on a public desk there's only certain situations in which I can use it but when I can use it it just feels so good must be that brain science brain science for the win (laughs) I wanted to put in a quick plug for sisters in crime because so I'm a member I was the national library liaison for five years and then now I've stepped back and I'm the library advisor but one of the things that the national group is doing this year is because we're in quarantine or whatever you want to call it we're not really in quarantine but we're trying to stay socially distant they have done a national novel writing month Facebook group and they're doing webinars and things like that. So if you are a mystery writer, take a look at National. It is, I want to say $50 a year for membership, but there are a lot of different things going on. And for a whole year, you get so many cool benefits. There's webinars all throughout the year. And then this NaNoWriMo thing is new. And I'm really excited to give it a shot with this group because these are all people that I used to see at conferences and now I miss them. I 
it's it's just like our last conference was PLA and it just feels like a different time. It was just so long ago. There's little things like that cropping up, like you were saying before, like Zoom things. And as much as it sucks that we can't be together in person, at least there's more opportunities like that happening. So maybe not Sisters in Crime, but maybe there's another organization near you that might be doing something similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even some of the libraries, right, Carrie, are are taking their National Novel Writing Month uh, write-ins online, right? Yeah, actually, I am doing a talk for the Lorraine Public Library System, and it is on Zoom, so you could be anywhere and still watch it and listen to it, so I'll have to get the link out. I The podcast might publish after the talk, but I can definitely get that out there. There's probably going to be a recording. So I'm I'm talking about how not to get derailed on NaNoWriMo. So how not to fizzle out, which after all the years that I've fizzled out, I feel qualified to talk on this topic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've learned the hard lessons. I have. I've actually never done a virtual write-in. I think that would be really fun. I want to try it sometime. Because I went to like one in-person write-in um, when I was writing Honey Butter, but I found I found like the people were too distracting. I just wanted to talk to everyone about stories and stuff because I didn't really get to talk to other authors and writers. So I'm, I'm distracted by people because I'm an extrovert, but I think a virtual write-in might work for me. I get, I totally get that, Millie, because I... I'm a highly sensitive extrovert, which I've figured out because I do have some introvert qualities, which I think is why I like to read and write so much. But because I do have that extroverted tendency, when I go out to things like sisters in crime meetings in person, it is really hard to focus. Yeah, (laughs) I just want to see people and talk to people and see how they're doing. So I totally get that. I feel like Virtual, too, can sometimes be hard because I will just talk and talk and talk even in, like, my virtual writer's group meeting. And I feel like my my uh, colleagues are just like, stop, mute her. <laughs> so you need to have the, the sprint pyramid or the, the other method where everybody's just muted for five minutes or for 25 minutes out of every 30 minutes. Right, exactly. There has to be breaks built in so that I know I'm going to get a chance to talk. Well, so we mentioned a couple books. Um, I know Save the Cat was mentioned. Becca, you mentioned uh, Nana Remo's um, book, which is like a workbook. Uh, are there any other books that you guys keep near your person as you are working through National Novel Writing Month? I think I mentioned it earlier in the podcast, but uh, Steal Like an Artist by Austin Cleon. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right, but that book is absolutely amazing for any artist, whether you're a writer or a painter or whoever, but I find it particularly helpful when I I feel stuck or drained or whatever, which tends to happen during NaNoWriMo. So I would definitely recommend, recommend that book. Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird, just forever. She's, it's always the book that I'll recommend for writers because it's about writing for the pure healing and joy and transformation of writing itself with no other motives. And it's always inspirational. I'm like pawing through the bookshelf that's next to me to see if I can find it. It's an older book, but it was from the beginning of NaNoWriMo and it is a NaNoWriMo official book, No Plot, No Problem which is really funny for me to recommend because I am a plotter, but I wasn't always. And I will talk about that when I talk to the Lorraine people, just how that even if you're having a hard time sticking to your outline, there are ways to keep the words flowing, the creative juices going like you all were saying, but I don't know where it is. It's somewhere in this room. (laughs) And then, of course, you mentioned Save the Cat, but Save the Cat writes a novel specifically by Jessica Brody. I hardly ever buy books like physical books. I usually buy books on my Kindle just because I have so many books. And if I bought all the books I wanted to buy, my house would be just filled with them. So usually when I buy a book that I want to read, it goes on my Kindle. But 
I bought the Save the Cat writes a novel and it is I'm constantly referring to it. So it was definitely a smart purchase. Nice. One that I turn to often, and it's not really a book on structure or has anything to do with NaNoWriMo, but I do turn to it frequently just for a little jolt of inspiration, is Lisa Kron's Wired for Story. Oh, that's oh, a good that one. one. Yeah, that's just one of those books where I can just read even just a few paragraphs and then close it because I had an idea to keep myself going. So that's just one of those that I reach and just honestly just flip to a random page and, and just read for a minute and will often... Uh, get an idea. And that whole, the basis of that story is using brain science to hook your readers. So it just talks about the psychology behind what readers expect of a story and then how to kind of turn that on their heels, but also write a story in a very satisfying way to your readers. I also have a book for um, like young writers. So if there are any like moms listening who want to get a book for their their kids who like to write and um, that is Spilling Ink by Anne Mazur and Ellen Potter. I read it when I was younger and I absolutely loved it. It's my favorite book for young writers out there. It's written in a very like warm, friendly tone. It has these smaller sort of paragraphs that are titled. So it's, it's like reading a bunch of like mini blog posts or Instagram posts, which makes it really digestible for kids and it has, you know, illustrations and things. But it's, it has like super valuable information, but in a very kid friendly format. Cool. Well, let's go around and just talk about any parting words of wisdom you might have for someone who is uh, thinking of joining in on their first National Novel Writing Month. I think the biggest thing to remember is that, for and this is another Anne Lamott idea, is shitty first drafts. Like, you're not writing a finished novel at all. You are only worried about getting words down at this point. Um, it doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be linear doesn't have to be cohesive. Uh, and if you worry too much about making it those things, you're not going to get through it. And it's still a valuable exercise. And it's still a first step on the way to an actual decent readable <laughs> book. So if your goal is to write a whole book, and you are overwhelmed by the idea of like people reading it or it not being good enough, just remember that you, you, this is not the time to worry about that. That will come later. All you need to think about is getting it out right now. So I think Becca said it better than I could. And when I do my presentation for Lorraine, I'm going to focus on that. The whole shitty first drafts. Like I love to plot, but if you don't have a plot in NaNoWriMo, that's okay. You can go back and fix it. It's kind of like, like my friend Amanda, who writes her way through the story, NaNoWriMo is the time to do that. So even if you are a crazy plotter like I am, if your book goes off the rails, the best way to get back on the track is to just sit the butt in the chair and stare at the blank screen if you have to, use those motivator things. And the sprints are really good. The timers, like we talked about, just do do all the things, and then don't beat yourself up if you don't make it. Like I said, I I didn't make it for so many years, but the energy from it, from online and in person, if we ever get back to in person, it's just so nice to know that you're not the only one, and you're surrounded by a bunch of people who are all trying to better themselves and do the same thing. I want to come back and jump on what you were saying, Carrie, about not beating yourself up. I want to remind everybody that nothing is wasted. When I when somebody told me that, it was so life-changing for me when I was thinking about my writing. No time you spend writing is wasted. Even if you never publish it, if it never sees the light of day, um, it is all helping you learn how to be a better writer. And it's the act of writing that that is important here. But Every, everything that you write, even the bad things, are, are progress. That's so true. That is another great point for my presentation. Thank you. I always like to keep in mind, too, like, when I'm writing, I often you know, will get ahead of myself and think, oh, I just need to go back and start from here. Like, that's okay. Take what, take what you're cutting, 
copy it and put it at the end of your document and save it. It might You might need it later. Uh, don't think that just because you have to move backwards to get back on track with your story that anything that you wrote might not come in handy later, later or that it can't count towards your word count. Uh, just get it all out there in the sandbox and you'll build your story up the way it needs to be when it's all over. I would say love your story. Like the most important thing is that you love your story. You may not love every day of writing it, but just overall love the story, love the idea, love the process. Remember why you started writing it. Remember why you're a writer, whether that's just for fun or because you want to change the world. Always remember the reason why. And remember that like, like write something that you need to write. I've always found that to be really important for me when I'm writing a story, even if I'm enjoying the process, but it's not something I need to write. It's not something I need to explore. I feel like it, it often falls flat. So put, put your heart into it. Love, love the process. Even, even the bad days, remember they're all going to lead to something great if you continue to pursue it and write what your heart aches to write. Very nice. Thank you all for being here. This was a great episode. Um, I just want to yeah, encourage all of our writers, whoever would like to give it a try. It is nanoremo.org. We will also be running writing sprints periodically on our Twitter account all through the month of November. And Becca and Carrie and I will get together and, and talk about how to run some virtual uh, writing groups as well. Uh, so you can check our social media channels for that, for those times. And Millie, why don't you go ahead and let everyone know how to keep up with you and where to find your work? Yeah, sure. So uh, you can follow me if you want to keep up with all my adventures on Instagram and Facebook. And I also have a YouTube channel, which um, has a lot of uh, like book recommendation videos and vlogs of my events and those sorts of things. Or if you're more of an email person, I have an email list that you can sign up for where I send out all my newsletters and updates and things. And you can sign up for that on my website, which is M-I-L-L-I-E-F-L-O-R-E-N-C-E dot com. And if you want to buy my books, they're middle grade novels, Honey Butter and Lydia Green of Mulberry Glen. They are available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and pretty much anywhere online that you would want to buy books. Awesome. Thank you. And we'll put a link to those books in the show notes as well. Thanks for listening to the Indie Writer Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will subscribe to hear our future episodes. We want to thank the Writing Block community for the continued support. You can find us on Twitter or Facebook or at writingblock.com, no K. Remember to subscribe, share, and tell your friends. Thanks, everyone, and happy writing. <laughs>